Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofstetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Today's guest is our first chief growth officer. Sarah, when was the first time you heard about a CGO? It's definitely been in the past 10 years. It's like one of those jobs whose function means different things at different companies. Yes, CGO is one of those words that reminds me of that scene in The Princess Bride where Mandy Patankin tells Wallace Shawn, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you say it means. Inconceivable. I don't think it means what you think it means. Rachel, do you think the CGO is a better path to CEO than from CMO? You know, when you read the job descriptions, I actually think that CGO tees you up better for CEO because there's more accountability. You're overseeing more things like corporate strategy, sales, R&D, in addition to marketing. Of course, there are plenty of CMOs out there that operate like CGOs, but they're not getting credit for it. Well, today's guest gives us a look into the role of a CGO at a company where growth may not have been as inevitable when she took the job back in 2019. But since COVID hit, growth was not the problem, but actually keeping up with the growth was a bigger one. So Allison Lewis is the chief growth officer at Kimberly Clark, who owns toilet paper brands like Cottonelle, Scott's, Viva, brands you really want to see more of these days, diaper brands like Huggies, all have been in great demand since March. And I think talking to Allison, we really learn about the differences and what it's like going from being, let's say, a CMO at companies like Johnson & Johnson and Coke to CGO at a time where growth is the least of your issues at the moment. So let's have her on. A longtime friend of mine and also industry icon, Allison Lewis, Chief Growth Officer at Kimberly Clark. It is Fabulous to have you today, Allison. Thank you so much for joining. Well, it's great to be here with all of you, and I really look forward to uh, chatting and sharing a little bit of insight on where we are on all of this. Well, talk about being in the eye of the storm. You must be a prophet. You choose to join Kimberly Clark over a year ago, which has, over the past six months, risen to be among the most in-demand companies in the world with a diversity of brands that are of absolute necessity to people today. But just in case you didn't actually predict the pandemic as a catalyst for growth, what made you decide to join Kimberly-Clark? Well, yeah, Sarah, who knew when I joined Kimberly-Clark that toilet paper would be the sexiest product on the market? I've worked on Coca-Cola and Neutrogena, but I think this one goes way beyond uh, those brands in terms of the demand that's been happening um, that was clearly unplanned. So if I transition for the real reason for joining Kimberly Clark, I have to say that I had some very inspiring conversations with Mike Sue, who is our CEO. 
And he is really what swayed me to join Kimberly Clark. He's all about doubling down on growth, hence the hiring of a chief growth officer. He's all about doing the right thing, but doing the right thing for the business, for the people of the organization, and the communities in which we serve. So very purpose and mission-led in how he leads and where he wants to take this organization. And then lastly, I'll say he had absolutely the right mindset on all the critical capabilities that needed to be built in order for us to be a 21st century CPG or consumer packaged goods company, because all of you know, I've been in CPG for most of my career. I call myself a serial CPGer, and I know, you know, what is required in, in today's world, which is very different from when I joined Kraft Foods back in uh, the late 80s. Is cereal actually the only category you haven't touched? Actually, I have touched cereal. Like craft, that was the that was the last uh, category I was working on before I joined Coca-Cola. So yeah, there's there's a between food, beverage, personal care, and now engineered products slash personal care. There's uh, not a area that I haven't touched in CPG. You know, Allison, so much has happened to the world since you took this role of chief growth officer. And I'm wondering, when you walked into the job, what were the expectations that were set? And then really, what is the reality today of what you're focusing on? Yeah, so great question. You know, when I walked into the job, what I was told would exist was sort of an openness to evolution and change. We had a newly formed um, ELT. Mike Sue had been in the role, I guess, at the time that I joined, he'd been in the role maybe about eight months. So that was very much true. I think the sort of ability to write my vision for how we were going to grow and what the critical actions would be are it was very much, you know, in in scope and, and what is happening with strong sponsorship, obviously, from the CEO. And then the last thing was sort of discussion on culture and how culture needs to evolve. Those were all things that were, were expected and, and what I expected of the role and have been true, which has made it really, really exciting and energizing. I think the big thing that nobody predicted were was around COVID-19 and all that that has brought in terms of the immense challenges facing all of us in work from home, the immense challenges facing all of us in keeping our employees safe and keeping our businesses operational. And then importantly, some of the real consumer behavior changes that are happening as a result of COVID-19. Things like purpose and brands that people can trust being more important than ever. Things like health and wellness and new routines and behaviors that are embedded and I believe somewhat permanently into the way that we operate. And then lastly, and relevant to all of you, is the shift to e-commerce. I mean, many will say that a lot of the changes that we've seen, we saw, you know, six years of change happen over six weeks. And all of that is really, really true. And so what was critical for us was how do we lean into these things as we recognize that we have to manage in the crisis, so keep the business operational and keep employees safe, but also look at the business in terms of how do we emerge stronger through this. And that's been really exciting, but obviously very much unplanned. Certainly, but nothing brings people together like a crisis. And you're right, e-commerce has accelerated in terms of consumer adoption, 
question becomes how organizations make themselves a lot more ready than they were before. And as a chief growth officer, does your remit actually include e-commerce? Does it include sales? Like how does, how does a CGO operate in a Kimberly Clark and how do you see e-com and marketing intersecting these days? Yeah. So my role does not include direct e-commerce sales, meaning that the head of e-commerce for the various countries or markets does not report into me. But where my role does play a role is very much in terms of the in-market execution related to e-commerce. And so the fact that so much of your success in e-commerce is about getting the fundamentals right. Those fundamentals around your content, your ratings and reviews, your navigation, your pricing, um, all of those things that determine whether or not you, you know, actually get that sale every single day. The other piece of e-commerce that my role um, encompasses is obviously the digital marketing perform- part of e-commerce. And that's a super important piece linked to your question, Sarah, because I really believe that what e-commerce and the continued shift and growth in e-commerce is is teaching us all as marketers is that we have to become much more performance marketers. So, you know, particularly in CPG, we've been very good at being brand marketers. Um, That's sort of the discipline that we built over many, many, many years. And brand marketing is still very important. So I'm still a huge believer in brands, but um, you have to be a performance marketer as well. And you have to think much more like a retailer. You have to think hard about that path to purchase and how you really, you know, acquire consumers and then confirm consumers, which is much closer to performance marketing, thinking with a customer lifetime value mindset. And so what we see across Kimberly Clark is our markets that are the most advanced in digital marketing also happen to be the most developed from e-commerce. So not a surprise to all of you, but China and Korea are our most advanced digital markets. They're also our most highly developed e-commerce markets. So I think there's this linkage that's happening in terms of digital marketing evolution and e-commerce, which is what gets me really excited when I think about the shifts to e-commerce because it's forcing our marketers to move faster against the things that we know they should be doing in marketing. And that involves not only the way that they market from more performance marketing mindset, but also that whole cultural mindset that more performance marketing has embedded in it, which is that culture of agility and iteration, constant optimization, constant A-B testing, seeing what works, what doesn't work, abandoning it quickly and shifting to what works. And that's exciting for me because I truly believe that that's one of the areas of secret sauce for a modern day or 21st century consumer packaged goods company. That's a great point. I mean, this does remind me of conversations you and I had probably more than 10 years ago when we were talking about social media. Like, where does it sit? Is it kind of in PR? Is it in marketing? Is it in content? And the fact that it kind of is like air it goes everywhere. The same idea would be with e-commerce. A product description page could be a landing page for conversion. It's also about brand discovery and reputation preservation. So there's so much overlap between e-commerce and any other method of brand communication, whether that's upper funnel, lower funnel, lifetime value. The interrelationship is so key. 
So how do you organizationally get yourself in better lockstep? Because your mindset is spot on. How do you bring others into that fold and help create the awareness and actions as a result of that? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think, first of all, it starts with really you know, understanding consumer journeys. And I know that sounds like, well, haven't we been talking about consumer journeys for a long time? Yes, we have. But at the same time, I'd say we're still not experts at it. We tend to fall into our here and now moment as opposed to thinking about that consumer journey over either the moment of need through to conversion Or, you know, if you're thinking more broadly across that broad consumer lifetime and what is it that they need at the various inflection points of their journey, uh, whether it is first period or all the way through to, you know, suffering from incontinence. Um, so, So we're doing a lot more work to really get underneath those consumer journeys and embedding those into our strategies. Now, at the same time, the other piece of work we're doing is really thinking organizationally, how do we set a few people in the company to be focused against purely performance marketing, connected to the brand teams, but focused solely on performance marketing? And that's teaching us a lot in terms of, you know, what what we have to really advance in these areas and then where we still have opportunities. So, again, I think structurally we're going to, as a marketing um, organization broadly across CPG, you start to think about how do we evolve those structures to really support the type of work we need in more of a digital first um, and digital commerce world. Allison, you said something a minute ago that really struck a chord with me, which is build brand and drive performance. Yes. Uh, you know, before I built Micmac, I ran Global Digital at Gap. And when we invested in TV, mobile, and social, we saw 1.5x lift in our CPA efficiency. Now, it's often really hard for organizations to see that come to life because they're so siloed. And so you were talking a lot about performance marketing. I mean, that's my background, so I love hearing it. Uh, but I often find that when e-commerce lives in an organization, it becomes really ROAS focused because you do have the attribution there, but then you miss out on all of the performance brand building. So how are you navigating that uh, at Kimberly Clark? How are you instilling in your marketers that it isn't just about ROAS, we also have to build brand? How does that come to life? Absolutely. So we're doing a lot of work on sort of measurement um, and, and what is a modern measurement system for the world that we need to live in. Um, obviously the ultimate measure is that conversion through to sales and that's where you often get the ROAS or their return on investment. And that is very important, but it's also important to build the brand in terms of, I often talk about building icons and that we have to build Kleenex and Huggies and those brands as icons within our portfolio. And that has a lot to do with the simple thing of, you know, we need people talking about our brands more often. We need more amplification on our brands from things like public relations. We need more people engaging in our digital products, whatever those might be, whether it's a consumer engagement platform like Huggies Rewards or whether it's just a mobile or website. But all of these are ways that we build the brand and they work together as we think about amplifying sort of each of those touch points 
minds to create, you know, it's not just a one plus one equals three, but it's a one plus one plus one plus one equals seven. And that's what we're really trying to do to build that brand love and that brand preference, which is still super, super, super important. Um, and then through COVID, you know, we've actually seen those increase in, in the desire for, for larger brands and brands that people can trust, which is very exciting because, you know, there's a while there where I think everyone was saying big brands are dead and the only brands that are going to survive are these smaller, you know, direct to consumer or, or very local uh, brands. And I think we're seeing that the world is much more balanced and nuanced than that. So again, I'm a big believer in, you know, it's both brand building and performance marketing. I, I think you need both as you, as you go forward in order to build a really strong, strong business. Totally agree. And you absolutely see these darling direct to consumer brands struggling. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of consolidation in this space. I'm sure Kimberly Clark is thinking about that too. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It's been very interesting to watch the evolution over the last uh, 10 years. But there are a lot of CMOs that are listening to this podcast that are admittedly a little jealous of your job, both the fact that you're sitting here at the epicenter of demand, but also this, this idea of the chief growth officer, which is one of those on again, off again kind of titles. What's different about the CGO function and what can aspiring CGOs do to get themselves prepared for a role like your own? Yeah, so I do love my job. So I will say that. So please do aspire to become a chief growth officer. I think what's sort of different about my role is it, it takes all the breadth of experience that I've had over so many years now um, and, and really combines it. So what's beautiful about my role is it's the marketing, it's the innovation, so R&E, um, and then it's the um, commercial capabilities, so things like in-market execution and revenue growth management and brings them all together. And so what you see as a result of that is you really see the de-siloing of the organization because all of a sudden you're able to connect the dots through the not only how we market, but how we invent, how we market, and how we sell. And that is really a massive unlock across organizations that unfortunately, I think over many years, you know, we, we've moved to the, the love of the matrix organization. And while there are a lot of good things about a matrix organization, one of the bad things about a matrix organization is it does tend to create silos. And so this role really breaks down the silos. When it comes to what should aspiring uh, CMOs do or CGOs to get to CGO, I would say a couple of things. One is um, breadth of experience. You know, throughout your career, and I, I tell people this all the time, that what's most important is zigzagging in your career. So if you don't go do some of those crazy jobs where you're completely uncomfortable moving into it, then you're probably not learning and growing to the degree that you need to learn and grow. It's only when we are uncomfortable, we think maybe we don't actually know how to do this job, that we actually prove to ourselves that human beings are capable of accomplishing more than they ever thought they could accomplish. And so they rise and they learn and they grow. And that growth is really what 
teaches you to be broad in your thinking and to also always operate with a, a level of a growth mindset, but also intellectual humility. And I think that serves you very well as you move into, you know, see chief growth officer type roles. So that's a little bit of the advice that I would give to people. I know you spent nearly 20 years at Coca-Cola, probably zigzagging your way through it. When you were spending that amount of time in an organization, how did you know when to network internally versus externally? Good question. So I think the internal networking happened fairly naturally for me at Coke simply because I did zigzag in my career. I had a lot of very varied roles, uh, whether it was in more pure marketing, more in general management, more in deeper sort of operational roles. Um, all of those things allowed me to really connect broadly with the organization. So I feel like internal networking was a, a bit more natural just because I had such breadth of experience. So thank you for that, Coca-Cola. Um, in terms of the external, I, I will tell you that probably happened more through my deeper marketing experiences because, um, like it or not, this is a fairly um, incestuous world of marketing. And there's a lot of structures that allow for a lot of connection, whether it's through things like the ANA, where you can sit on the board um, and interact with, you know, 32 CMOs from some of the top companies um, around the world, whether it is through the various uh, events that happen that allow you to basically meet new people, whether it is through the top to tops you have with, you know, people at Google or at Facebook, all of those things allow you to create this incredible network. And so I've always encouraged people because our industry does have a lot of things that you can engage yourself in, take advantage of that and get out and, and, and spend some time in a, at a couple of these events because most of them are free. Most of them are things now you can actually just join online. You'll meet new people, you'll get new thinking, and then you can reach out to them as you sort of go through your career. So um, that's actually how I met Sarah, right? Way back, way back when, I think uh, 360i and Coca-Cola had a relationship and we've continued our relationship through um, the past two roles that she's had. And uh, that's powerful. And yours. That's right. The past two roles of yours as well. You know, what's interesting that I found since moving into e-commerce is there is no ANA equivalent. So we have to create that ourselves. It's one of those things where there were so many opportunities for marketers to get together. When I was more on the agency side, I felt like when I was done planning for CES, I was already planning for advertising week or I was planning for can or I was planning for, there was always something going on. And granted this, this year is not necessarily the year of events, but the idea of keeping people in this constant loop, I don't know that there's actually nearly enough, of a camaraderie within econ leadership as there is from the marketing space. And I'm hoping that, that this podcast becomes a catalyst for this for sure. It's one of those things where it's not so nascent, but it's become so important because it's moved from the fringe to center stage. So it is interesting to see how, how that has changed so drastically. Absolutely. There's huge power in that. And if you look at, 
you know, where most companies are getting a significant portion of their growth, it is through e-commerce. And I think we all need to follow the growth and, and go with the tailwinds that we have, you know, against the various channels um, of business that we operate in. That is certainly a consistent theme that we're seeing. I think one of the things that was really interesting to me about you when we first met is you would tell me your stories, uh, you know, Rachel referenced the zigzagging of, you know, you, you would get on the truck, you would get really into the heart of the business. And I think you're almost like selling yourself short in terms of your, your zigzags. Tell us about those early days at Coke, you know, especially on Aguala, you would get really into the belly of the beast and understand when people talk about brand essence, they don't talk about like really talking about what's inside tactically, but you did, you really got into the underbelly. Tell us more about how you live your brands. Yeah. Well, I think you have to be curious always. Um, and, and I always talk about operating with sort of intellectual humility, where at the end of the day, if, if you think about building your brands and growing your business, uh, you have to do that, recognizing that not one sale happens in the office that you sit in every single day. It happens out there in the marketplace. And so you have to walk in the shoes of your consumers. You have to walk in the shoes of the operations of your business. You have to walk in the shoes of the partners that you work with. And what you find when you do that is you learn so much. You feed that curiosity. You get new ideas for how you might grow or build your brand. And those things are invaluable in terms of not only what they do for your business, but also giving you credibility within the organization because you really do understand the business with a breadth that maybe others don't. So I, I can't encourage that enough, which is feed your curiosity and get out there. And you're absolutely right. You know, ride trucks, walk stores, do all these things that allow you to really understand your business and the heart of your business and what drives your business. Most people across the business know more depth against, you know, the area of the business that they manage than you will ever know. Tap into that depth, tap into that breadth that they can provide to you and it will make you a, a smarter business person and, and marketer or chief growth officer. Allison, you have so much wisdom to share about leadership. You also have probably a global perspective on the future of CPG. So I just want to imagine, let's pretend I gave you like $100 million to invest in the future of CPG. Where would you place your bets for the next five years of growth? I would place my bets on more the how CPG operates. Mm -hmm. I think that within CPG, there are no shortage of the insights work across whatever company you go to where people see where the puck is going and they understand sort of those opportunities. The problem often is the speed with which they move against those opportunities. And so what you see with a lot of these startup companies, whether it's direct to consumer or bricks and mortar, what you see is they look for the holes in the market and they go after those holes aggressively and they move super, super, super fast. So the how of CPG is what I believe needs to evolve. And that's where I would place my bets a culture of iteration, a culture of agility, 
a culture of really hunting for growth and moving fast against those opportunities. So that's where I would place my bet. And that's what I hope to build here at Kimberly Clark. So a little bit of a personal question. We like to understand the person behind the professional, if you will. So tell us something that you bought during the pandemic that was absolutely bizarre online or your most recent purchase online. And if they happen to be one of the same, even better. Well, it's really interesting because um, just a couple hours ago, and I, I went and checked my Amazon account to see what the last thing that I purchased was. And the lesson for me was never give your college age son access to your Amazon account because the last three things that he purchased were one, a flag of Jameson whiskey because his name is Jameson and it's spelled exactly the same as Jameson whiskey. So I assume that was decor for his frat house bedroom, a pair of rubber flip-flops, which I'm assuming are for the horrific, dirty shower floors. And then the last thing that he purchased was a light for his room. So I'm assuming that these LED lights, he and his friend are are stringing up across uh, the totality of their room to, to decorate in a way that most designers and decorators would cringe at. So that was the, the, the learning for me. So I may need to do a little bit of uh, cutting off of that Amazon app access for him. Well, we, you know, there is Amazon Teen where they can just kind of log in and submit the cart for approval. I've learned that the hard way, um, having two kids in college. <laughs> but I will say, believe it or not, light bulbs is one of the top 10 most searched items on Amazon today. Wow. So your son's on trend, man. He's just on trend. He's just on trend. He just needs that Amazon Teen uh, permission turned on. Well, Alison, we now get to get to the favorite question of the podcast. Yes. Which is, what is the bravest thing that you've ever done? It can be personal or professional. So I would say, first of all, I've always been one to sort of hold my hand up for those crazy sort of, you know, no one no one thinks it can be done. No one wants to do it sort of um, things. And so as I reflect back on, on my life, I realized that it was pre my uh, business career where that started. So one of the crazy things I did looking back, and I still can't believe my parents let me do this, as I think about if I had, you know, a a 19 year old daughter, I'm not so sure I would allow this to happen. But back 35 years ago, they were just starting to do international exchanges at universities. They're very common today. I think 50% of kids do it. But back 35 years ago, they weren't very common. And so I held my hand up and said they were starting the program. And I said, oh, I'll be one of the first. I'll be, the, I'll be a guinea pig. So off I went to uh, Brussels, Belgium, to a school called University of Louvain-la-Neuve, all in French. But looking back, the craziest part of that was that I did that at a time when I didn't have a credit card. I didn't have a cell phone. My parents put me on a plane to Paris, France. I'd never been outside of the United States or Canada. Put me on a plane to Paris, France alone 
I had to get on that plane, then figure out when I got off that plane, how I took the train from Paris to Brussels, then figure out how I took the subway to get from Brussels to my university. And then only called my parents a week later because you had to use calling cards and long distance calling was so expensive that my parents didn't want me to call until at least a week and once I was settled. So the fact of the matter is looking back, that's pretty brave and maybe more brave for my parents than for myself. But the fact is that I could have been, you know, a young 19 year old girl lost in Europe, who knows what could have happened to me, no credit card, no cell phone, um, didn't even speak the language very well. And um, that was uh, pretty brave looking back. So those are the types of things that probably shape some of why I why I still hold my hand up today for some of those crazy things that people say can never get done, they can get done. Love that. I have a very similar story, 17 years old, going to Europe. And again, I think my parents were the brave ones. Exactly. (laughs) We were naive. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just the thing for you. Meet Viral Growth your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content, so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of True, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.